Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex, joined today by two of the three Musketeers. First and foremost, our great leader, Evan G. Watkins. Evan, how you been, man? I'm good. I'm good. I, I wish Doug would put that Hawaiian shirt on and not blame it on his wife in the background i think that he would probably pull it off pretty well um but other than that aloha doug how you doing mahalo um i'm good uh i do rock a hawaiian shirt every now and then there's nothing wrong with that particularly particularly during these hot summer days um here in the commonwealth of virginia we got a couple weeks left until football season cranks up um so I'm pretty much not doing anything right now. It's pretty great. Life is good for Doug as he rocks his Hawaiian shirt to work day in <laughs> and day out. Life is good in terms of morale, I would say. Really starting to feel like, you know, it's it's almost football season. You got hard knocks coming out on the pro side. Finally, kids are in pads. They're hitting every possible Conference national preview is being penned. Of course, you can always turn to two four seven sports for all that coverage. Of course, we have a focus on Virginia Tech here, and we're not there every day, but we're hearing rumors, things that are coming out of camp. Is there anything in particular that's either been seen? reported or said by the coaches themselves or players particularly stuck out to you doug i'm really interested in what you have to say about this one so how would you get us rolling yeah i i think i think the defensive end position position has been um uh, the most surprising interesting and potentially encouraging spot uh virginia tech Fred Price talked about it. They spent a great deal of effort this offseason in figuring out how to generate more pass rush, particularly from the defensive end spot. Just haven't gotten much production at all there last year, at least, um, and really for the last few years there. Um, Tech just hasn't been able to generate a pass rush. And so they went out and added Antoine Powell Ryland uh, from Florida in the transfer uh, portal. Everything. Everything that's been said about him is everything Virginia Tech hoped he would be, and probably then some. Um, Brent Pride talked about the one rep he had that one, one of the earlier practices fall that was just like apparently above and beyond any rep by anybody that has been on the team since since uh, Pride took over. That's certainly encouraging. J.C. Price. Um, talking to the media last week, talked about three defensive linemen that have been kind of playing at a different level. And it was Norel Pollard, Josh Fuga, and an APR as he's becoming quickly well well known. Um, so I think you got to feel really good about, you know, that they potentially added the number one defensive end they were looking for um, there. And then, uh, and then Keyshawn Burgos, I think, has been a big story of a guy developing quickly 
Um, certainly has the frame at 6'5 and 240 that you're looking for defensive end, but um, probably said he's in the too deep with a chance to start. And, and I think, you know, for a guy that's a true sophomore, so really he's 12 months into his college career, um, that's a really, really, really encouraging development path that he's on. And then you throw in Cole Nelson, CJ McCray, um, McDonald. They got five decent to pretty good options that I think they feel much, much better about. So that's, I think that's given what a need that was for Virginia Tech, an ability to generate some pass rush, which is four down linemen specifically because they, they have better defensive ends. Like that was a, just like a critical need for this defense. I think they feel really good about what's happened at defensive end this fall so far. Yeah, Doug, and I, I, that's interesting to me, right? Because, I mean, we know that the interior defensive line, we know what we're getting out of that group, right? But with all that being said, are you at the point, at least with what you're hearing, where you're kind of confident that, this edge rush won't necessarily be a weakness for the unit. I think it'll be better than last year. I, I don't know whether that makes it, you know, I guess it could still technically be a weakness and still just not, not be that great, but better than last year when it wasn't good at all. But, um, you know, I think, I think adding Pal Ryland and getting, getting developmental Burgos, even if like Cole Nelson's the same player he was last year as a, like a pretty solid defensive end. Um, I think they're going to get much better production there. Um, and, and if that gives them four, you know, four pretty solid defensive linemen overall with, if you throw like Pollard and Fuga in the middle of defensive tackle, that's, yeah, that's turning, I guess I'm talking my way into turning that defensive line into a, um, into a strength of the team. I'm looking at the defense compared to linebacker where you have questions at, um, at Mike, I, I think maybe the defensive line and the in the secondary are your two strongest, or at least your two most confident positions on the defense at that point. You mentioned the question at Mike, Doug, and I'm going to turn to Evan on this one. Tech really waiting for someone to emerge. You know, you've kind of followed almost every player on this roster through their recruiting process and their development. In your eyes, is there a leader in the clubhouse here, or, or what differentiation are they looking for as they, you know, look to find the guy who's going to be the voice, the play caller, the captain of that defense? Yeah, I think when you look at everything they want at the position, you know, they've they've talked about wanting to be more athletic there, obviously. Dax left some pretty big shoes to fill. I know that, uh, you know, he he played out of position for two years. He wasn't the most athletic guy, but he made plays. I mean, he was he was a very solid college football player for Virginia Tech. So having to replace that, uh, it doesn't really happen overnight. I think, you know, I think the two to watch right now are Jaden Keller and um, Jaden McDonald. I think, uh, you know, I think Stone Snyder, in my opinion, had he, I think he was a guy to watch early as a transfer, but then it just, you know, it seemed like it was going to take too long. The writing was on the wall. He wasn't going to learn the scheme the way that, you know, kind of 
when he transferred in, you thought that he might be able to pick it up pretty easily because he was a pretty established guy. Um, so with him walking away, I think the leader in the clubhouse has to be Keller. You know, he's a guy that he's got really good instincts. Um, he's athletic enough. He's got good size. And I think that we've seen and heard over the last, you know, eight months or so that he's really kind of turned the corner. The lights kind of come on for him uh, after last year. And I think he's the guy that's probably the most suited right now. You know, if I had to make a stake a claim, make a guess right now, who starts at Mike linebacker, I think it's him. Um, you know, I think McDonald is a guy that's probably more athletic. I mean, talk about the transition that those twins have gone under uh, at the power five level coming in as defensive backs and then one moving to edge rusher and one moving to inside linebacker. You know, they're they're very athletic. They're very hardworking guys. Their work ethic is, is probably in the top one percent on the team. I mean, they're guys that just simply won't be outworked. Um, I think Keller is just more instinctual at the position. He, he's been there longer. He's been a linebacker longer. Uh, and I think that he's the type of guy that um, if he wins this job, I think it's going to be hard to unseat him in the future. I think he's a guy that could win it and be kind of an entrenched Mike linebacker for the rest of his career uh, at Virginia Tech. So, you know, I think those are the two two main battles uh, to watch at the position. Um, right now, you know, depth behind them. They're going to need to build that. Um, but obviously, if one doesn't start, the other one's going to be the backup. So I'm going with Jaden Keller to be uh, the starting Mike going into the season. Jaden Keller, a popular answer. If we were asked last year who we thought the most underrated player coming out of camp would have been, and I think the coaches were heavily echoing that. We'll see if he is able to really take that step forward into a everyday starting role and really lead that defense. Now, one thing that kind of has stuck out to me is the big question, right? The quarterback battle. Pry goes out and says, yeah, we'll split the reps between these two guys, those two guys being drones and wells, until we are given a reason to do it otherwise. Now, all the rumblings is that Wells is way ahead in this competition. This goes against Doug Bowman's prediction. <laughs> you the drones would be the starter week one. So, Doug, what do you have to say for yourself? Do you think your prediction still has a shot? I did step off on a on a limb here. Um, doesn't seem like it's going to come true at this point. Um, but, yeah, it, Andrew, you asked if it's, there's still a shot. There's still... You know, there's still a chance that he could turn it on. My my whole theory was that 15 practices in the spring and then another 15, 20 practices here in August will get him up to up to speed enough to overtake Wells. At this point, it doesn't seem like it's trending in that direction. Um, I think we're going to find out in the next – I mean – they're either going to hold it until ODU and try and keep the Monarchs on their toes, or we're going to find out here in the next week or so before they go into their pre pre game week game week their trial game week basically. Um, so yeah, it seems like Wells has you know maintained his lead. I guess that I mistakenly I guess believe drones would be able to make up, but I mean I I, I don't think that means the battle is necessarily over. Um, I think 
I think you're clearly going to see two two um, two quarterbacks played in some role. Drones for the if Jones is not the starter, he'll have a small role, just taking advantage of his unique skill set compared to to Wells, and I think that gives him an opportunity to kind of uh, build his role as the season goes on. If if Wells struggles or if Wells isn't playing well enough, and, and Drones is making an impact during his time, so you know, still ongoing. I'm, I'm not I'm not ready to throw in the towel officially on my prediction, but um, I am realistic about what it sounds like is happening, and, and really, we're you know. It was always going to be tough to unseat an incumbent with three years of starting quarter, three three years of starting experience, and um, you know, it's just, I think it's just really hard at that point to convince an offensive coordinator and a head coach that to go away from the guy that they know understands everything and knows everything and is going to at least run the plays and execute the offense as they intended. And I think that's what you get with Wells is just, it's the, it's the old expected outcomes quote that Cornelson and Fuente used to talk about all the time, but that's the case for, for all football coaches that especially from your quarterback, you appreciate knowing that what you expect to happen is going to happen. Um, so I think that's, that's really where it comes down to on offense for or at the quarterback spot. Yeah, you know, court, the quarterback competition is interesting. So, and when we asked that question, when when Doug said he wanted or he he picked drones, we looked at it as who's going to be the starting quarterback for the season opener against uh, Old Dominion. So, I went the other way. I went with Wells. Now, if the question was morphed just a little bit of who is the starting quarterback on September thirtieth against Pittsburgh. I think that's a different question because that gives you four games of knowledge to see who is outplaying the other in a true game-like situation. So, you know, when you, when, when you look at drones and you look at Wells um, we know what Wells has done on the P five level. We don't know what drones can do. Uh, We have such a small sample size uh, available to us. So when you look at what drones brings to the table and you look at the bigger picture, Drones is a mobile guy. Not that Wells isn't, but but he's more athletic than Wells is. Wells has a bigger arm. Wells has, I mean, if you're looking at just pure arm talent, Wells is has has unreal arm talent. The issue has been some of the decision making that he's that he's made. You know, the the multi interception games, the uh, throwing the ball away, the not seeing or not throwing the ball away, not seeing guys wide open. All of that that kind of encompasses it, but from pure arm talent, Wells is 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 superior. But if you look at the kind of a bigger picture, you have drones, you have Whitkey, you have Pop Watson on the roster that all fit a similar mold. They're all athletic. They're all a little bit raw as far as accuracy, or they all have something that may draw them back in the arm talent discussion. Um, then you look at what they have coming in. You got you got Belfort, who's a dual threat guy that fits that mold. You get Keldon Ryan in 25, fits that mold. So on one hand, you have Wells. On the other hand, you have a lineage of about five guys. If you want to prepare for the future and prepare your offense for the future, if, if Wells is your guy and he struggles, that leash needs to be short. 
because you need to start preparing for the bigger picture at some point. Um, you know, even if Wells plays great, goes through this year, let's say he plays astronomically well in this hypothetical world that we're making up uh, and he leaves for the NFL, your scheme go, moving forward is going to be around somebody who has completely different skill sets than what Wells brings to the table, in my opinion. So I think Wells starts ODU. My biggest question, and I've been I've been echoing this across the message board for a while now, is when it gets tough, when adversity hits, because it will, it hits every quarterback. You throw an interception, you lose a game, you get cracked because your left tackle is a redshirt freshman that's played 12 snaps in his college career. Um, you know, things happen. When 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 that happens, does Wells' world fall apart? We saw last year signs that it did. You know, he didn't he didn't get you back into the game. Things fell apart and they continued to kind of snowball and get a little worse. Now, he does have better talent around him at the skill positions. He's got an offensive line that's completely unproven. Um, so I think you're going to see both. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people and Doug mentioned it thinks, you know, drones might have a small package uh, against Old Dominion where Wells would be the starter. I actually think it's going to be a little bit bigger than that. I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if in the first half drones gets in and has gets quality minutes, gets quality time, because at some point I think that transition is going to need to happen, whether it's for the bigger picture and the lineage that's coming in the future in the pipeline to run more of a true RPO instead of trying to fit Wells as a more of like, in my opinion, more of a pro style type of quarterback into that that rpo type of uh type of system so you know if you say against odu i think i'd say by putting house money on wells takes the first snap if you're talking pit florida state later on in the year after we've got you know a, a, a few games under the belt and you've seen what people do you've seen if if wells comes out and has another four turnover game or if things happen and his world starts to fall apart how short that leash is maybe drones is the guy to build towards the future. Cause I think that transition needs to happen for the betterment of Virginia tech in the future. I think the other thing I, I want to add on the, on the quarterback competition is you think we're talking about, all right, Wells is going to start, but drones is going to have a role, some role, however big, however small progressing throughout the year, whatever. But the thing, but when our, our most recent reference point for a, a quarterback rotation was the old, Hendon Hooker, Quincy Patterson rotation, which Patterson one was not a threat to throw the ball at all. Um, I think his only pass that he had in the arsenal was the fade to the corner of the end zone. Um, I think drones is a, is a more advanced passer at this stage than Patterson was, which is a good thing for Virginia tech. And two, it's not a uh, drones is drones gives tech a little more on the ground than what wells can wells is a pretty decent runner in his own right um but i think wells elevates that a little more um and 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 presents kind of a different different challenge to a defense than what wells brings so i think that makes it makes this quarterback rotation to me makes way more sense and will be more likely to be successful than the hooker patterson um attempt at a quarterback rotation from a couple years back. And then I think Evan kind of touched on it with the offensive line question, like that, that could completely dictate 
just where the quarterback rotation goes. If, if, if Tech's offensive line, which we've talked about as a huge concern, cannot pass block worth anything, this is going to be a run-heavy team that needs a big physical quarterback like Drones. Um, Prize talked about 230 pounds, and they're, they're, the offense and defense are jawing at each other on the practice field because nobody they haven't let them try and tackle drones, but but pride doesn't seem to think that anybody would really want to step in front of him um, on a run play. So I think there's a, I think there's going to be a kind of a, a learning period in September where we kind of figure out what the rest of the offense has. And maybe that dictates what the quarterback rotation becomes, you know, later in the season. Yeah. And I think one of, one of the things too, that, you know, when you have, when you have a quarterback competition in camp that is going to revolve heavily around your quarterbacks not getting hit, Wells is going to win that competition. Like Wells, if you're picking a skeleton drill or you're running seven on seven and you're doing things like that, Wells has the arm talent to look fantastic in those situations. It's in it, my, my concern is is in a real world environment. You can't stand there and do that. You you can't stare down your your number one receiver uh, and have predetermined plays at this level for for you know the entirety of the season or the entirety of a game. Things happen and things break down, and you're going to have to be able to create plays and create hidden yardage. And that's where I think you don't see it on the practice field, but that's where guys like Pop Watson and that's where guys like Drones. You know, David Belfort, those guys, they can pick up some of those hidden yards. Um, obviously, Drones is much bigger. He might be able to do a little bit more like a Gerard Evans did, where he can pick up some of those yards in those physical run game, um, you know, inside runs type of situation where more Pop Watson would be scramble, get outside and try to get up the sideline so you can step out of bounds and not absorb a hit. Um, but those those type of things they'll show up a little bit in scrimmages and things like that, but they don't really show up on the practice field because that's stuff that happens under the lights. That's stuff that happens on game day. Uh, you know, and, and when you're out there trying to make plays and progress the offense forward. So, I mean, I, I, again, I, I think, I think when it comes down to it, Wells, I think Wells throughout the season, I expect him to start ODU and I expect it's going to be kind of him fighting for his job week in and week out because I think drones is going to be sitting there pushing him. We've heard that drones has progressed really well um, late in the spring and then through the early part of fall camp. But we've also heard that Wells has progressed as well. So, you know, if, if is drones better than Wells was at this time last year, maybe there's a different situation, but if Wells has gotten a little bit better with some of his decision-making, you know, I, I think, the end of the day, you bring in drones to make Wells better or win the job. So he's he looks like he's done at least one of those. And I, I suspect as the season goes on, I wouldn't be shocked if he did both of those things. So just to kind of go on like what I suppose is a devil's advocate position, right? I mean, I, I feel like the framing of the, the drones-Wells conversation has been Wells is the devil you know. Drones very raw. Drones will eventually be the guy. It's just a matter of kind of when he fills in that role. But at the same time, you look at Wells from last year, and obviously he was not very good, but he has a lot of college snaps under his belt 
as we've talked about on previous podcasts, far more than what we've seen from drones so far. And, you know, at least at the group of five level has had a modicum of success. Last year, first year in the system, playing behind a poor offensive line, really one wide receiver in the mix. Is there, I, I feel like everyone, fans and media included, are writing off Wells that he is who he was last year. And it's just a question of like whether it's worth the risk to put drones in to see if it's worse yeah, or better. But is there a chance that we see a higher level of the ceiling from Wells? Do you believe that, you know, we could see some seriously improved play? I mean, we're only a year removed from crazy Virginia Tech diehards wanting him to, uh, you know, be a Heisman Trophy candidate, <laughs> which, by the way, if you ask Chat GPT who Grant Wells is, Chat GPT <laughs> will say he was a Heisman Trophy candidate picking up on all the posts from tech fans online <laughs> prior to the season, which I think is very funny, but I digress. You know, how high is the ceiling? Like what, what's the most we could realistically see him improve? Do you think there's actually a chance that, you know, we're past the Rutgers game and, you know, we're saying to ourselves, well, you know, I, I, I don't know how bad it could be against a Florida state that we're thinking about benching this guy in the month of October, right? Do you, yeah. you think he can really step up or do you think he kind of is just who he is? Yeah. Uh, for, for me, Wells physically, Wells has the tools, right? Wells has a big arm. Wells can make every throw. It's, it's to me, it's the, it's, it's mental, it's mentality. It's, can he, get you back in a game can he not have multi turnovers in a game can he use that arm and 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 the talent he has to make big time throws and not turnover worthy throws you know that's the thing to me if it was i think physical is easier to coach you know if it was hey you weren't as accurate last year as we need you to be here's some things to work on we're going to give these drills and we're going to drill this into your head and you're going to be more accurate when you come out. Right. I think that is easier than addressing the mental aspect because for most quarterbacks, you have it or you don't mentally. I, there's not a whole lot of gray area to me in that. And that's my, that's my question. That's my concern. I had the same concern when, when he came to Virginia tech is, what happens when adversity hits him? Because we, we saw a little bit of it at Marshall too. You know, it, it's things when things go bad, things tend to go really bad. You know, it's not a things went bad. And I'm going to come out on the next drive and I'm going to win this game for you. Things continue to kind of snowball. So the mental aspect is harder in my opinion to coach that out. Now I, I think, I think drones or I, I'm sorry. I think Wells, has done a good job in camp. I think he's he's pretty much secured his job. I think he's progressed each day and each step with drones pushing him. And I think that's what you want to see. Um, now, if he can maintain that when the season starts, that's going to be different because you're not going against air. You're not playing two-hand touch. 
You're not out there running skeleton drills. You know, it's real life football. And, you know, you're going to have to be able to make quicker decisions. You're going to have to be able to move from one one read to the next. You're going to know what you have to know when to throw the ball away and when to make plays. Uh, and, and to me, that's the part of the game that's been harder for him. And that I think is harder to coach than the physical side. Yeah, I'm with I, I'm I'm with Evan pretty much to a T. You know, physically, I don't think um Brad Glenn, Tech's former quarterbacks coach who left for Cincinnati, he's he gets a lot of uh a lot of <laughs> a lot of heat for for his comment last year about how Grant Wells throws the best deep ball that he's ever seen, something along those lines. Um I don't think Brad Glenn is just making things up in that sense or is um, over-exaggerating just to over-exaggerate. I mean, I think he's a smart enough, good enough football coach to be able to say things like that with a little bit of credence behind him. But like, I think the, I think physically the tools are there. It's just all about decision-making. And, and to me, it's the, it's the turnovers, it's the interceptions, um, I remember the, I remember last, before last year, I went back and I found every, I think it was 22 of Wells's picks for Marshall. And there's just some decisions that were there at Marshall on those interceptions that were just like, huh? Like, like that, like just poor decision, poor throw, no chance, easy pick. Um, and you saw some of that linger around last year. So to me, it's, you know, if he is a better decision maker and Tech has clearly upgraded skill positions around him, I think he's a good enough – he would be a good enough quarterback to, to to play the whole season to not be overtaken by drones. But I just don't know that three years in as a starting quarterback when you've had turnover issues at Marshall, Marshall, and Tech last year, um, that, that that is not just – that that is not just who he is at this point and, and who he always will be. So, you know, I think that's really the key is when you look at, um, when you look at September is how is he taking care of the ball? Is he making those decisions that resulted in the turnovers and the interceptions that, that he did a year ago? If not, then I think he continues on. Um, but we'll, we'll, that's, that's, that's kind of where I am at with like Wells as a, pure quarterback versus his ceiling. I think it's all about decision-making and whether, whether he can figure it out to, to keep the ball with Virginia tech as much as possible. I think another side of it to look at too, with last year compared to this year is last year, there was not a lot of competition behind him, right? Like I don't think Jason Brown pushed him to, to, one really didn't <laughs> and two the leash was so long because they knew brown couldn't couldn't push the offense more than wells could um which was which was you know a a pretty bad situation to be in um so now you have a guy that even if he doesn't win the job if drones doesn't win the job he's a guy every day and every week in there lurking as i could come and take your job at any day any day of the week, I, I, there's an opportunity for me to come in and take it. And I wonder, part of me wonders how Wells will react to that. Cause that's another side of the game that 
you know, if, if, if you feel like your job is not in jeopardy, like he felt last year, and now you feel like your job is in jeopardy this year, mentally, how does that impact you? And how's that going to impact him? So I think that's another side of it to watch uh, this fall and watch it all unfold and, and see how he reacts. Maybe he rises to adversity and becomes more comfortable in the system. And maybe he plays lights out and, and, and from day one, you know, he goes book to book in as the starter, but, you know, based on what we've seen the past few years, I have to imagine there's going to be some ups and downs. Yeah, and a whole lot to touch on there. I mean, Evan, in terms of what you said about the competition, I mean, you know, you you can turn to the age-old, uh, you know, essentially American ingenuity modicum of competition breeds the best product and breeds success, right? And, and that very well could happen. But on the other side there's a reason why teams name a starting quarterback and are very hesitant to even seem like they're wavering on that quarterback until the change has essentially already been made because you don't want a guy out there feeling like he has the weight of this next throw might be my last as the starting quarterback until it really is. But college football players, college football quarterbacks, they're smart people they can understand the reality of the situation, the reality of the competition that they're in and the ability level of the guy behind. And that, that will play a very big factor. I was going to say, yeah, that's going to happen <laughs> to both of your points. It was very clear that Jason Brown was not the answer for a variety of reasons. Number one, there was no forward advantage, if you will, like future advantage, right? Yeah. If tech is playing poorly and Wells is playing not, great but not terrible the season's essentially a wash you could make the argument if drones isn't too far behind like go in start him he's the quarterback of the future get him the reps whereas that was never going to be a thing with jason brown last year jason brown was always going to be gone yeah and that wells was i don't think too many people were calling him like this is going to be our quarterback for the next three years like they were saying in august by november but Clearly, he's still here, and he very well might start. There was an advantage to keeping him in. Now you have the younger gun behind you. It's a whole different story, especially if it's even moderately close. Now, on the other end, in terms of the interceptions, right, in terms of ball security, in terms of arm strength, we've heard you know, stories of a strong-armed quarterback before. I had a, you know, a former player tell me recently, Ryan Willis had the strongest arm he had ever seen. That can only take you so far. <laughs> so it'll be very interesting to see this year, right? Because last year we said, at least the excuse that I tried to kind of make for Wells, right? You have a guy who's already prone to poor decision-making. You put him behind a bad offensive line and a very poor group of wide receivers where there's not much separation. You have to make a decision quickly. Yeah. The ball is going to be turned over. The receivers thing, there seems to be some solid improvement there. On the offensive line, well, that certainly remains to be seen. And to both of your points from earlier, if the offensive line you know, ultimately is the Achilles heel of this offense, of this 
team as a whole in 2023. Unless Wells could be a very different player than he was in 2022. It certainly seems to favor the guy with the mobility and the potential going forward. But uh, speaking of that wide receiver room, you know, we've heard a lot. It seems like Steven Gosnell's getting some looks. You got Felton. You got Jalen Lane. Of course, you have Ali Jennings. I wrote in the roundtable that I thought Jalen Lane might be the most underrated player on this offense based on what I saw him do in the big games at Middle Tennessee last year. There was a lot of clapback. Oh, no, it's Felton, Andrew. You're sleeping on Felton. Of course, I'm sure if I did it the way around, I would have received the opposite feedback. <laughs> but for you guys, where we stand today, from what you've heard, from what we've seen in the past, offensive fit, if Jennings is your clear number one, is there a clear number two? If there is, which of those two guys, if it's those two guys, fits that bill? Yeah, you know, for for the wide receiver position, going into the spring, they prob- I probably felt the best about that unit um, as a whole on offense. Um, they've got they've got three really good transfers. You've got some good high school guys that came in. Then you have your your guys that are developing. Your your Stephen Gosnell, your Tucker Holloways, your Dwayne Loftins that are that are in there and, and you know competing every day. I'm not I'm not gonna lie and say that the last week or so the news coming out about drop balls in practice and get the jugs machine back out and drops in the scrimmage uh don't have me concerned because I think I, I think that that is things that you bring in three established transfers, you shouldn't be dropping balls. You got guys that have been in the system for a few years, you shouldn't be dropping balls. Now, you know, you have a guy like if Aiden Green or Chance Fitzgerald has a drop, okay, I get it. They, they're they're still uh, acclimating to the skit system. They're young. They're playing against probably the best defensive backs they've played against playing in practice. I could understand that. But when you start hearing that there's some some drops going on with some of the upperclassmen, that has me a little, a little bit concerned there. Ali um, Jennings, to me, is the number one receiver, but I wouldn't be shocked if maybe that position rotates a little bit, you know, I think that he has the ability to be a one, a, a, your true wide receiver one. I think he's got the history and the the stats to back that up. But, you know, if he doesn't show consistency, the, the sleeper of that unit to me, I, I do like the Jalen Lane pick, but I think it is Felton. You know, Felton was a guy that when he when he transferred in, it was he's raw. He was a track guy in high school. He's got speed, but. You know, he didn't really blow anybody away at the lower levels uh, at Norfolk State. And, you know, he's going to be a developmental guy. And now we're we're starting to hear a little bit of that change that he's probably going to be a big part of the offense. He's got obviously uh, outstanding size uh, and speed combination. I think he's got a very, you know, rare talent and rare combination in that. Um, but he's a guy that seems to be consistent. He seems to be out there at making plays. We hear about him pretty much every day. Um, and then there's Mr. Consistency. Uh, you know, um, you got Steven Gosnell. I don't think he's, a, I don't think Steven Gosnell is a wide receiver one. Put that out right now. I think he's a wide receiver too. I think he's a very good one. 
Um, you know, if you throw, let's say Ali Jennings is your your wide receiver one, and and you're playing uh, teams that are going to shadow him with their best DBs, then I say you let Stephen Gosnell work on their number two. You let him work in that second position. Great route runner, great technician, can create separation, um, can catch the ball, and he's quick. You know, he's got good speed. So I think he's a guy that's uh, – I almost had him in that same article as my Mr. Underrated – um, but I went with uh, I went with Braylon on offense because I think people don't talk about Braylon more enough. But you know, I think of the wide receiver group. I think uh, I think the three transfers will bring a lot to the table. I'm intrigued by Lane in the slot because Virginia Tech can do a lot there. They can do a lot with him. Um, we've heard great things about Taki Heath. We've heard uh, great things so far about uh, Turner Bradshaw being super quick and in and out of that position. Um, and doing really well there. And then, you know, you can throw in the fact Tucker Holloway can play slot. Uh, you know, uh, Daquan Wright can play in the slot as a mismatch, put him out there. Um, you could throw guys like Felton in there and throw some slants to him if you really wanted to. So that that whole slot position to me is going to be fascinating to watch. You know, you could even throw you, – you could throw Tootin in there a little bit if you wanted to because he's so good in space and find a way to get him the ball. So – you know, I, I think when you look at the wide receiver group, I'm concerned about what I've heard lately with the drops. Um, hopefully that's something that gets worked out because we all know the offense doesn't need another reason to to stutter um, going into the season. But, you know, right now, I think I think there's a good group of wide receivers and I think that they have a chance to take the next step and probably be the most productive unit uh, wide receiver unit that we've seen at Virginia Tech in, in a number of years. Yeah, I, I, Evan covered it pretty good. I I think what Jalen Lane brings to, to the slot position as a difference maker and and is a different weapon than what Virginia Tech had last year is is going to be going to be huge for Tech's offense. I I I kind of think Lane is going to lead the team in catches this year. Um, Tech's Tech's slot production last year from wide receivers was among the worst in the country. Like got practically nothing. Jaden blue was the most targeted slot guy last year. And um, just didn't get enough production. There was like bottom, like below 50th in, in slot receiver production there. So I think you're going from like zero production to a ton of production in the slot. And I think that's, that's going to be huge for this offense and Lane's kind of the first edition of that. I think you see what Virginia Tech wants to get out of the slot based on their recruiting recently. Um, they add Lane, but they they recruited – they took Turner Bradshaw shortly after they took the job, and then Heath this year coming in. Like These are prototypical, traditional, small, lightning-quick slot guys. It's clear to me that they want that kind of slot receiver – in this offense long-term. Um, I think, I think Lane is the first kind of the first iteration of that. And I think that's why he's going to have, I mean, I, I think he's, like I said, I think he's probably going to catch the most passes on the team, in my opinion, just, just given what that slot position, having a weapon in the slot does for your offense. Um, if Ollie Jennings or Felton or Gosnell is on the outside and you're, that's traditionally where your number one corner lines up your best cover guy. Like it, it, it puts defenses in a really tough spot when you've got a real 
big time threat in the slot. We saw it uh, the last couple of years with UNC and Josh Downs. Like it just forces you as a defense to make really tough decisions on on who's covering who. Um, and most of the time, I think you're going to get Lane on a pretty good matchup. Um, so that's why I think he's he's a guy that is going to be really really productive and probably you know if Ollie Jennings is the quote unquote still number one outside receiver the the guy um i, I kind of think lane just from a product from a production standpoint and what he brings in the slot is going to be open quite often i entirely agree and for virginia tech who had no true number two option last year that's good news do you like my prediction I like all your predictions, Doug. I don't know. I got called out for one earlier. so I like them until they're wrong. <laughs> That's true. Or at Me least too. seem wrong, and then I turn on you. Come on. You know how this goes. It's <laughs> uh, so the last thing I got for us, Doug. Evan has dropped off, but, of course, we'll have plenty of stuff to cover when we get Matei back on the podcast. Still a few weeks left to preview the season until Old Dominion comes to Blacksburg. But looking at that preseason poll that came out a few weeks ago, Virginia Tech coming in at 11th, ahead, barely, of Georgia Tech, slightly over Boston College, pretty significantly over UVA, who was in dead last. Ahead of Tech, Syracuse, Wake Forest, Louisville, Pitt, Duke, Miami, NC State, North Carolina, Florida State, and Clemson. The gap between Virginia Tech and Syracuse Decently large, like larger than the gap, or about the same as the gap between Virginia Tech and Boston College at 13, and then everyone else is off to the races. Clearly, the media, not with a very high opinion of the Hokies. If you were voting in this poll, Doug, where would you have put Tech? Do you think this is a fair assessment? Uh, pretty close. Um, I don't know about Syracuse this year. Uh, um, I I think that's that's Garrett Schrader basically. Um, and the that's and the confidence they have in him versus Wells basically. Um, but I I mean I think that's about right from this team. You expect. You know, I still think six and six would be a solid, solid accomplishment for this group. Um, seven wins would be a phenomenal season, I think, for Virginia Tech. Uh, you, I mean, the last three teams won, what is it, five, six, and three games. Like, it's a, it's only been one recruiting class and some transfers. Like, I just don't know that you can expect much more improvement from a team that topped out at six wins a couple of seasons ago. Um, like that's just who this team is built with the most. Um, so I think, you know, you'll get some improvement, six wins, great, seven wins, unbelievable. Um, and, and so that puts them 10, 10th, ninth, 10th, 11th in the ACC, depending on, you know, are you a, if you win six games, are you two and six in ACC or three and five? Um, 
you know, something like that. So I, I think that was a pretty fair ranking um, from from the rest of the media there. I just don't know how you can expect much different from you look at the last three years, you look at last year specifically more than others. And then like the questions about quarterback, um, obvious big time questions on the offensive line that I think could kind of derail everything else. Um, I think the defense is going to be fine this year, but those two, I mean, those are two of the, those are the two biggest spots on the offense and tech has huge, huge questions there. So I think, um, I think it's pretty fair. Yeah, Doug, I'm right there with you. And mostly on that last point, it's hard for me to pick a team that has a bottom of the league offensive line with questions as to what would happen if any of those starters got hurt and say, oh, yeah eighth in the league, seventh in the league. You look at Boston College last season, you can have the arm talent, you can have the guys on the outside. If you can't block, what does it matter? What does it matter? So for that reason, you you hold your breath, you hope for the best. But predicting a long season where injuries inevitably will happen, it's hard to go in with too much confidence. I think that Boston College team is a good, great comparison for what happens when your when your offensive line is a weakness. Uh, if I recall correctly, UVA last year was a terrible offensive line and probably is pretty responsible for what happened to Brennan Armstrong there. Um, uh, I always go back to the terrible Florida State teams right around the end of the Jimbo Fisher Willie Taggart era, era that just were horrible on the offensive line like it that was unbelievable it's like yeah how, how is it that bad it, it's just and, like and, and miami at points too by the way yeah and it's just like it derails everything else you do um you just don't have a chance if you don't have an offensive line um and that and that's a that's a real challenge i mean at the end of the day like past week three week four the film is out People know what you're doing. People know your tendencies, know who the who the good players are, and know where the weaknesses are, and they just hammer them. And if they know your right guard is is not up to par, they know you're on your second string left guard or left tackle or whatnot. Like um, by that point, like as the season, it's just tough to overcome because you just they just hammer it over and over and over again and. I think that's a lot of what you saw with Boston College last year and UVA. And, you know, it's it's tough when you don't have a good offensive line. So that's that's the big question uh, for me, September 2nd. And I guess September 9th, when you get a little a little better quality in there, is like, what what is this looking like on the offensive line? At the time of this recording, 8 p.m. on the East Coast, which means exactly 19 days from now, we will kick things off against Old Dominion at Lane Stadium. We'll be back with plenty of podcasts between now and then, though. So if you like what you're listening to, subscribe. Inside the Tunnel, DT Scoop, 24-7 Sports. Of course, go get that VIP subscription. You know you want it. It must hurt you on the inside to go on the site, 
see what's being posted and be like, eh, I don't have access to that information. Hurts, doesn't it? You can change that. Otherwise, rate, review, subscribe, and we'll see you soon. As always, my friends, go Hokies.